Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to PHRA's podcast, P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Lattice and the University of Pittsburgh, Executive MBA Programs, and the Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support, and we'll hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu/slash EMBA healthcare. In episode nine, Pete Schramm and James Rohde discuss how discipline, accountability, responsibility, and leadership are vital skills to being successful in business. All right, Mr. Rohde, we're excited to bring you on to the P4 podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, This is all about learning more about you and the experiences that have fueled your life over the past few years, couple of decades, and the impact that you've made, uh, not just to the people in the greater Pittsburgh area, not just to the United States, but folks from all around the world. And you know, the couple of conversations we've had over the last few months and years, I've learned so much from you, and I'm excited to share more of this insight, perspectives, and experience uh, with everybody else listening. So thanks so much for joining us today, Mr. Roddy. First question is, who are you? How'd you get here today? Well, I'm an 89-year-old entrepreneur. I I was uh, in business for a number of years in large companies, a lot of startup companies. Uh, I was president of uh, several companies. I've been on uh, seven or eight uh, public company boards, and I have uh, been involved in, I had a 30-year involvement with politics. Uh, so I have a, a good feeling of the difference between politics and business. Uh, and uh, I, I came to Pittsburgh promising my wife we would stay five years. And we've been here 43 and wouldn't live anywhere else. Love it. So from politics uh, and you know, making Pittsburgh your home, let's talk a little bit more about some of those other roles that you were in at those organizations. And also, I think there's a small detail that you're leaving out about the beginning of your career, right? Maybe almost, uh, you know, getting to the Olympics and traveling the world, supporting uh, the military. You did some really, really cool things early on in your career. Can you kind of talk us through the earlier phase and how that influenced some of the professional steps? Well, my biggest uh, influencer was my track coach in college, who uh, I, when I was planning to be the captain of the team in my senior year, he called me in and said, uh, I don't want you to be the captain of the team. I want Bill Taylor to be. And I said, but, but I've, Bill Taylor's a walk-on. He's never won a race. He's, he's never, uh, never been uh, a star on the, on the team at all. I have on the other hand, I've won all of these races and championships, and and I've been to the Olympic uh, trials, and uh, I I was crushed. And he said, "Well, the reason is that Bill Taylor is you're exactly right. He's not very good. He's a walk on, but he is the best he can be. He came here with no talent, 
and he's worked hard enough to to make the team and to at least participate. You, on the other hand, had a lot of talent, and you wasted it. You you played through most of the things. Uh, you you did well. You had a great career, but you could have been much better. You could have gone to the Olympics, and you could have been a world champion. But you you were not motivated enough to really work that hard and to be the best you can be. And that I was devastated. But uh, shortly thereafter, after I graduated and went into the Marine Corps, I learned exactly what it was to be the best you can be. And I, I think that that's a message that everybody ought to know. What did you do to be the best that you could be? I, I worked really hard important. at it. I, I yeah. love my job in the Marine Corps. I love the, the culture of the Marines. And uh, I did everything I could to be as good or better than anyone else at whatever I did, whether it was the obstacle course or, or uh, some sort of uh, exercise, uh, jumping off of uh, uh, repelling down mountains, uh, going through 30-mile uh, hikes. I, I always wanted to be the best. I love it. And as you transitioned throughout the Marine Corps, what were some of the different responsibilities you had and how did those prepare you uh, for those first steps out of the Corps and in the professional world? Well, I think the discipline and the accountability are very important. I think if everyone could <clears throat> could go to the military uh, it, it, uh, and and have that one or two years of discipline and learning chain of command and responsibility and leadership. All of those lessons are great. I was uh, a platoon commander. I was captain of a uh, uh, commander of a uh, amphibious recon team. I uh, was a liaison officer with the Turkish army when in joint exercises with the Marines and the Turkish army and in the Mediterranean. Uh, I went on a rescue mission uh, to Bulgaria to when it was behind the Iron Curtain to rescue some downed pilots. Uh, I met that pilot years later and he told me uh, how important that moment was when he saw me the first time. And, uh, and so I, I realized that what I was doing was affecting positively the, with other people. I love that story. And uh, he climbed up a, a few ranks in the military, didn't he? The individual that you saved. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, I think he, when I met him, he was first in the rescue. He was a captain then he was a major. And I think I followed his career. At least he, I think he finally made, uh, got his star and became a, a general. Yeah. And, and imagine if he, you know, wasn't saved. So that's, that's pretty remarkable. Thank you again for your service. As we, you know, kind of take the next step in this, this conversation uh, towards some of the top trends that we're seeing impacting businesses in our region and around the country. You talked about discipline, accountability, responsibility, and leadership that you learned from the military background. Uh, but Jim, what's the biggest trend that you're seeing impacting our workforce today? Well, there are two. Number one, I think, is the, the fact that a lot of people 
are not working uh, for whatever reason. Uh, they're they're deciding not to go back to their original job, and uh, everyone is. If you drive down the street, every business you pass is a big sign said uh, now hiring. Uh, I I saw one that said hiring for all positions. So I went in and applied for the ownership and but they said that wasn't included. Uh, but it's, um, it's very difficult, particularly in, in, uh, in the service business where you have to uh, be running a restaurant or something. It's just very difficult and it's, it's hurting uh, businesses. And the other trend is working from home. A lot of people, after COVID got used to working from home, decided that they like that. And now people will, they want to do that. They want to work virtually. Technology allows them to do that. Uh, but you have to be even more disciplined and, and more dedicated if you're doing that. And I don't, I personally, I don't like the idea of working from home. From home. Um, I believe that, um, uh, the culture that you, you you have in a company, being able to in, be uh, interface with your fellow employees, uh, seeing them on a daily basis, talking about ideas, talking about things you're doing, what they're doing, I think that's invaluable. And so maybe maybe a blend of virtual and coming to the office a couple of days a week, where uh, where you can plan to uh, have have that relationship uh, is much better than full-time virtual. It's, it's interesting how uh, your point changed a little bit and kind of saw how it developed. You said, I don't like, you know, working, working from home. And then you're like, well, you know, we kind of have to meet people where we are. The world's changed and how insightful it is that you're able to say, hey, I, if you can budge, I can budge. Let's meet in the middle, hybrid, right? Got to be in the office a little bit. I get it if you want to work from home. That's okay. Let's, let's carry both of them forward. Well, it's, it's about change. And the most important thing to learn in business is that everything is going to change. And to be successful, you need to not only uh, uh, accept change, you need to embrace it. And you need to be a person that can lead change that can manage change, because change is an absolutely inevitable. Accept, embrace, and lead change. I like it. Let's go back. You talked a little bit about culture. Um, whenever you were in your 30 years in politics, and maybe we hone in a little bit more on the county executive position, what did you do to improve culture? Maybe some of the activities uh, that you you know did with the team, some actions you took. What did it look like? Well, it it was very difficult because I started with seven thousand employees and I had to get rid of about five hundred of them, and so that was not the most popular thing. Uh, also, I was a Republican in a courthouse that was ninety two percent Democrats, so they all were trying to figure. Uh, how to how to make me fail, <laughs> so uh, it was it was difficult. But I, I purposely worked with every department and tried to do whatever I could to improve it. And, and, and but I involved the leaders of those departments, 
And so I, I teamed with each one of them to make the department as good as it could be. Uh, and, and we had some huge successes with that. And people began to realize that uh, I, was, I was not partisan at all. I think while I was a county executive, I hired two thirds Democrats and one third Republicans, and that's the registration uh, in Allegheny County. So uh, I, I really look for the best people. And every time that uh, even we had to get rid of a lot of people, but I explained why. And I think when I finished that explanation, people recognized that they were better off uh, the fact that these people were not there anymore. And I, Go ahead. And, I, and I became a listener. I, I, I've always believed that a leader has to be a communicator. You can't lead without being a great communicator. Gandhi was a, was a great leader and George Patton was a great leader. You could not have two most dissimilar uh, personalities. But the one common thing that they had is that they both could communicate. In, sometimes in different ways, uh, but that you have to, and if, if you really want to be a communicator, you have to understand that by definition, communication is 50% listening. If you hear the word communicate, the picture that comes to your mind is speaking or writing or, or presenting. Well, all of that's good, but if if if, no one, if you're not listening, uh, you're not going to be a very good communicator. I think that's something that we can all uh, jog our memory on. Uh, a little bit more listening, uh, active listening, right? Not just uh, being present and not just kind of letting the information come to us, right? How, well, how are we to, able to take it? You have to let people know that you were listening. The best thing is after a conversation with someone after a session with someone uh, drop them a note about something they said that you uh, think is worthwhile so that they know that you were listening to them and they know that you valued their opinion yeah so starting off with 7,000 employees and cutting some of them the odds are are against you um kind of the way the, the courthouse is broken down, but you brought the people together and did a lot of good things uh, for, for the re region. And you mentioned that you continually worked with the facts and started uh, with why. And throughout this process, you probably had to hire a lot of people. About how many people did you bring into uh, the, the, the county, um, into different roles? And talk to me a little bit more about that hiring and onboarding process. Probably two or three hundred okay. uh, that I brought in. Uh, and uh, the, the hiring is, is, a, is a, the hardest thing that you will do in business because your people are the single most important asset that you have. And if you're in a small company, the smaller the company, the more important the culture and the, and the, uh, the hiring is. If you have five employees, one's not very good, that's 20% of your workforce. If you've got 10,000 employees, 
and a hundred of them aren't very good. That's one percent. So it doesn't really uh, affect you as much. So smaller the companies, the more difficult it is. And hiring, uh, I've I've set some rules uh, about hiring. I, I like to hire veterans because they have uh, accepted responsibility and they know discipline and they and they they've had that. Uh, that training that you need in, in business. Uh, secondly, I like to hire people that have worked their way through college. Now, I didn't. I went to college on a full scholarship. and it had, But when I talk, when I meet with or lecture um, uh, students, the, the best people I can meet with are the night students in grad school because they're working all day and then working, going to school at night. Uh, they want to accomplish something. They're trying to, they're, they are motivated. And, and that's the kind of people that you want to hire. You want to hire people also that have had a successful track record. If, if someone has had changing jobs every year or two, uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, I, I had a, a, a mentor that told me that he never hired a man that smoked a pipe because he'll spend more time trying to light his pipe and keep it lit than he will working. <laughs> and and uh, I had all sorts of uh, peculiarities. One man didn't want to hire anyone that wore a bow tie. <laughs> but but the main thing is what have you accomplished have you uh, grown in the jobs that you've been in have you been advanced in those jobs were you successful in those jobs and if they were they're not going to suddenly change when they come to work for you they're going to be exactly the way they were and so that's more important than the resume that's more important than the, the background, it's success. I, I love it. And we, we think about hiring for attitude uh, and you can teach the aptitude over time. Uh, I was recently at an, an event with the Pitt IEE and they brought in a speaker from uh, Harvard Business School and he talked about just that, hiring nice people. And the case study that he put together was around uh, the, you know, kind of tragedy at the Taj Mahal Hotel uh, about 11 years ago. And in this tragedy, 100%, so, you know, terrorists came into the hotel and they started, you know, sh shooting up and causing a ruckus, right? 100% of the staff stayed there and they supported. And then we dug into it a little bit further and we understood, okay, what's the culture like there, right? What do they do for their people? And what we found is that the leadership there prioritizes people more than most organizations. And it all starts with the hiring process because if you have bad in, you have bad out. And in the hospitality uh, space, the service industry, oh my gosh, if you have unhappy guests, if you have unhappy customers, you're not gonna grow. They're not gonna come back. And even worse, they're probably gonna tell their friends that it wasn't that good. So hiring nice people, hiring great people, I've, you know, done multiple, you know, vet hirings over the years, and I, I think it can be great and to, you know, lift others up 
and again, thank them for their service is pretty phenomenal. So I, I love hiring the right people. What happens if we don't hire the right people? What happens if they get through the cracks? Um, it, you know, I've been wrong before, right? What do we do then? Well, <clears throat> first of all, you don't let it you don't let it go too long when you recognize someone's not pulling their weight. What we typically do as managers, and it's probably the, the biggest mistake that all managers make, is that they have someone who's, who's not performing well. And they, they'll call them in and have a talk with them. And they, they'll have put them on probation even and say, you've got to show me that you can improve over the next 90 days or something. Uh, the, the truth is, people rarely change. They rarely get any better. And so you really need, when you recognize that, uh, you have to know that the people around them knew about the fact that they weren't good long before you did. And so they, they when you let someone go that's not working, uh, they, they appreciate that. They, that sends a signal that, uh, that you are watching and knowing what's going on. So, but if you, if you have motivated someone, done everything you can to motivate them, if you have properly uh, trained them, if you had uh, given them all of the tools that they needed to be successful and they still haven't performed and you have to let them go, you are at fault. It's not anybody else's fault but yours because in the final analysis, if they, you did all of that, you shouldn't have hired them in the first place. And I've heard people that brag about how many people they fired. <laughs> That's, that doesn't impress me. It's interesting how you talk about accountability to those on your team, you owning the responsibility when you're in a leadership role and the discipline to do it at the right time. Those are four of the things you talked about whenever you were going through uh, the Marine Corps uh, experience earlier. So it's all, it's all tying together. And these core principles go with us throughout the entire lives that we have, right? Personally and professionally. Hmm. So some of those leaders that are going into some of the difficult conversations, maybe we take this two different ways, right? Think about a leader at a small company, right? Maybe under 50 employees. And then think about a leader at, at a large company. What are some of the tips that you can give them, some actions they can take uh, today in this hybrid world to improve you know, their employees? If I have somebody who's, who's okay, what can I do to get him to, to great or her to great? Um, and some other things to improve culture, right? It's tough times, but what are some of the things we can do? Let's start off with a small company, leader in a small company. Well, I think you, you have to be honest with everyone. Uh, they have to respect you for, they may not like you. They may think that you've made some of the, the decisions uh, you've, you've made were not the best, but they, they, you've got to be honest with them. You've got to tell them what's happening and, and where they stand and where the company stands all the time when you're in a small company, because everybody's got to pull their load. You, you, you've got to let them know that you care about them you've, and that, that they, are, they are valuable. Uh, it gets much more difficult when you start with a great big company. And then you, then you have to do the same thing, but with 
leaders within the company that lead smaller groups and 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 hope uh, that they will pass on that same uh, ethic of, of listening and being honest and and you you really have to preach that all through the management ranks uh, because people uh, you know when you have 40 people working for you uh, they they uh, the combined brain power of the 40 they they know a lot more about the the work going on than you do and so it's it's those those key managers uh, throughout large companies uh, that that's where a lot of concentration has to be sounds like this takes takes a lot of time how do you prioritize you know, meeting with everybody and taking time to interact and engage with all of them. Did, did that, you know, really cut into your, into your schedule? Did you have longer days whenever you're trying to, you know, live oh, this out? Of course, in a large company like the county, uh, I had that plus uh, the political issues that I had to deal with. And uh, I was, I, I told the story that I was out 23 nights in a row uh, and didn't didn't have an opportunity to get home for dinner, and and 19 of those nights they served chicken, and I got home finally on the 24th night, and as you might imagine, my wife had fixed chicken, and so I stood up and talked for 20 minutes. I introduced I introduced my dog. Uh, it just a reflex, it, but it's it is difficult. You really have to, you really have to dedicate yourself and be organized. You, you have to know what you're going to do every day. You have to have a good schedule, and you have to have people around you that help you do that. There's no substitute for good people. Good people can make a bad plan work. Bad people can't make a good plan work. I love that. I've never heard it put that way. No substitute for good people. Bad people can make a good plan work. Bad people, can, good people can make a bad plan work. There we go. <laughs> and, and bad people can't make a good plan work. Yeah, I love it. Start start with the people. You talk a little bit more about the, the discipline in the organization. Did you have any kind of habits or routines, right? You wake up in the morning, uh, you know, what, what did that look like for you? What were some of the, you know, routines and habits that you had in place uh, that fueled uh, some of your success? 4.30 in the morning, get up, uh, exercise until 5.30 or so, have breakfast, be in the office uh, no later than, than 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, have a list of things to do that you prepared the, the day before that are prioritized and start going down that list. And so uh, I even I even stage uh, phone calls by time zones so that I could stay after work and call into the West Coast and other places that I needed to talk to people. So it's it, you really have to work at it. And and having a good scheduler and having a good uh, assistant that will uh, uh, keep the schedule for you and tell you when, where you have to be. Uh, a lot of times I would be out somewhere and I'd call and I'd say, tell me where I'm supposed to go next. 
Yeah. And it's probably to another chicken dinner, right? Yes. <laughs> You've talked to me a lot over the last few months around innovation and thinking outside the box. And leaders around our region and around the country, around the world, have had to think outside the box a lot. Share a couple of stories, maybe one or two, uh, around instances where you've seen people do things differently to achieve different results. Doesn't have to necessarily be COVID related, but instances where we have this problem, maybe a business is stagnant, stale. How can we look at it differently? Maybe bring in outside perspectives. We're going to do things differently to achieve things that we haven't done before. Ed Turner. Uh, if you if you really want to study a smart uh, entrepreneur, Ted Turner is a is a good place to start. Uh, when uh, I first met Ted, uh, he was 21 years old. His father had just sold his company and committed suicide, and Ted had inherited the company, but uh, it was it had been sold. So he he fought the sale, saying that. I want to keep this company. Uh, and my father was not in his right mind when he signed the contract. And obviously, uh, committing suicide is pretty proof of that. And so the, the sellers or the buyers of the company said, look, we, a court case is not going to be good PR for us. So let's just back away, tell him it's okay. Uh, and six months later, he doesn't know how to run anything. Uh, and six months later, we'll be able to come in and get the company again. And uh, we, and the truth is, he started with that. He, he hired me to be the manager and or to the president of his company. And uh, he was he was the thinker. Uh, Ted Turner was one of the smartest people I've ever known. And he could not manage a snow cone machine. Uh, he was a terrible manager, but he was a genius when it came to seeing the future of the business he was in and being way ahead of everyone else. Uh, he came in one day and said, Jim, we're going to buy the Atlanta Braves. I said, are you crazy? We know nothing about sports teams. We know nothing about baseball. We're struggling just to get the company reorganized and make it profitable. And you want to buy the Braves. I said, what are you thinking? He said, well, we just got this television station. It, and every, it was an independent. We didn't have a network. And every minute of programming, we had to either produce or buy. He said, the Braves play 162 games. We can put them on the air with a pregame and postgame show, and we, we can save six million. I've done the math. We can save six million dollars a year by buying the Braves and uh, putting, putting them on our, on our TV station. And it was, it was a genius. We were the first station ever to go on a satellite. I said, What are you doing with a satellite? He said, we'll send their signal all over the country. I said, well, who cares about a TV station in, in Atlanta, Georgia? He said, it doesn't matter. If we get a 2% share in 500 pounds, that, that's saleable. We can get an advertiser that will buy that. If, and so 
he was always thinking ahead. He bought the, the MGM film library for $1.5 billion. And we all laughed and thought he's finally done it. He's, he was like some, a guy at the poker table, never pulling a chip off. Just let it ride. Let it ride. And he was fearless, absolutely fearless. He he failed a bunch of times, and and it didn't matter to him. He just he ignored it. Uh, he went on right on with his next venture. But uh, he was he was a genius. And right now, the film library that he bought is probably worth a hundred and fifty billion dollars. Uh, and and so I, I greatly admired him. Wow. I, that, that's 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 a new one. It's pretty remarkable, right? Doing things that you know haven't been done before, and beginning with the end in mind. What are we trying to achieve? Is it more well, profits? Is it breaking into new spaces? He wanted to make money. Yeah, uh, but but he wanted he wanted to just to be known as a as a successful entrepreneur. Uh, he called me one day, and he's he. I was in Pittsburgh by that time, and. And he was in Atlanta and he said, Jim, uh, we had a conversation for a while. And then he said, Jim, do you know I'm worth $500 million? Of course, today it's several billion dollars. I said, is that why you called? He said, no, I called to let you know that I had made 400 million of it, doing things I you advised me not to do. <laughs> and so I, I realized that my role was running the company and his role was the vision. Wow. So that's the perspective from somebody at the top of the food chain and has had, you know, a lot of opportunity to influence, uh, you know, the corporation and the businesses at a higher level. Let's switch gears and go down to the, the foundational pieces. Folks that are coming into the workforce and are just joining uh, a company, just joining an organization, whether it's small, medium or large. What tip would you give them as they step into this new role? Well, first of all, you want to work at some place that where you can be proud of the company and what they do. Uh, if you can't be, if you're just there, but get a paycheck. But if you're if you believe in what they do, their product, uh, their their culture, then then uh, that's that's a good sign. Also, uh, you want to go in a company where. You, there's an opportunity for you to grow. And you want to go in a company that offers a training program. Uh, I've, I've seen companies that the new salesman will come in and, and they'll say, hand them a phone book, a yellow page book and say, here, here's your, your, uh, your target list, go out and sell. Uh, that, that doesn't work very well, but, but it's, um, I think being proud of the company that you work for, having a training program, and having a path that you can grow. I think those are the three most important things. Yeah, proud growth and training program. Uh, I'll let you know that we added a couple more people to our team uh, over the last few weeks, and they are proud to be here. There is a clear path for growth, and we put the training program in place, so According to the Mr. Roddy, uh, you know, onboarding success tips, we're, we're headed in the right direction. So, Jim, thank you for uh, these insights up to this point. We're going to go into the kind of fast fire, uh, you know, phase of this. You ready to go in? Sure. 
All right. So the first question, uh, if you could give your younger self some advice, uh, what would it be? Get a better education. I came out of college. Uh, I, I was an English and speech major. I couldn't read a balance sheet. Uh, couldn't read an operating statement. Knew nothing about business. And so I had to learn on the job. Fortunately, I had mentors that helped me with that. But uh, I, that's that was the biggest mistake I made. Okay. A favorite quote uh, that you share with other people, uh, something that really resonates with you. Uh, I think General Patton, when he said, uh, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I like that one. Patton's come up a few times here. Uh, all right. You talked a lot about, you know, working uh, early and working a lot and working hard. What'd you do for fun outside of work? How did you balance? Was there one activity or one hobby that you had? Um, when I was working, not, not in uh, the county exec, but working in companies, uh, when, whenever I left the office, whether it was six o'clock, seven o'clock or eight o'clock, I put all the office out of my mind and I went home and I had, I, I didn't think about it until I came the next morning. I could do that because I had a plan. I had a list of things to do. I was organized. And so I had that luxury of being able to just having family time uh, that was, was a, uh, very valuable. Then weekends, I like to sail. And so I'd go sailing and sailing is a great, uh, you, have to, you have to think what you're doing. You have to be uh, aware of things around you, the wind, the currents. Uh, and, and so it's, it takes your mind off of everything else, it, it was it was good to be have this clear press a clear button uh, for a few hours and and do that. Sailing into success, I like it. We'll have to get out on a, a on a boat sometime soon. All right, last one is uh, a book recommendation that you have. Well, I'm not going to recommend a book. I, there are many there are many books on leadership. There are many books on on success. And I recommend them all. Uh, read as many as you can. I have. Uh, but I would recommend that every day you read the Wall Street Journal. Read the front page. Read the articles. Uh, it's, you often let the wor whole world go by when you're starting a company or trying to grow a company or trying to do something. And in the Wall Street Journal, if you'll spend... 30 minutes going through the paper every morning and reading it. It'll keep you up to date on art, culture, business, sports, everything you need to know that's going on in the world. And, and that's valuable. And it seems that it's, it's worked hearing from a, a almost 90 year old entrepreneur uh, that's been around the world a couple of times uh, and seeing so many different experiences. Jim, thanks for sharing uh, all these insights with us today, sharing these stories with us today. Uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation and, uh, you know, continue hearing from you as we, uh, you know, keep building uh, this community. And to everybody listening, uh, thanks for joining uh, this session of P4 today. Jim, I'm going to hand it back over to you for any final closing thoughts and words um, as we wrap this uh, episode up. 
Well, I, I want to thank you for having me, and and I want to thank the emphasis on human resources. Uh, that that used to be a, an obscure office uh, somewhere in the basement, but or in the attic. But today, uh, in the last few years, and it's become uh, one of the more important parts of business. And it's it's they finally have recognized people are your best asset. And that's where it all begins with HR. People do matter. I love it. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. In a world where businesses are coming to terms with the demands of employee choice, solutions to improve workplace culture are crucial. Businesses of all sizes are doing everything they can to attract and retain top talent during this unprecedented time. Connection to the team, a sense of belonging, and a feeling of purpose rank high in the needs of today's work-from-anywhere society. Sound familiar? At Lattice, we understand the importance team-building and positive employee-employer relationships have on the success of a workplace. Done well, top-down and peer-to-peer knowledge sharing can unlock new levels of productivity and profitability to create a culture of cohesive collaboration. Ongoing high-quality connections reduce burnout and mitigate mental health issues, more important now than ever with social isolation on the rise. Lattice is a tool to make internal employee engagement easier and much more impactful for the entire organization. Lattice is a proven, secure workplace solution that is easy to implement for organizations of all sizes. So what are you waiting for? Let's Lattice. The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you for watching and thank you for listening.